Wow. I back. Trust me. I back. Uh, this sport, right? This sport of boxing. It'll, uh, it'll break your heart a lot. But when it's in tune, when it's all together, when you get a year like 2021 has been, and when you get a night like this Saturday night has been, I mean, savor the flavor. It is so sweet. Uh, I think it was, uh, you know, the great poets, uh, Bush, <laughs> that once said, uh, I don't want to come back down from this cloud. It's it's taken me all this time, right, to find out what I need. Brian Campbell, the American Alpha, uh, the BBC, with that BDE, fresh off the plane from Jamaica, incredible vacation behind me, obligatory dad vacation hat on my head, but you better believe I was tuned in and ready to watch a trio of boxing fight cards this Saturday night. So good, by the way, that I had to hit you up with the MK instant analysis morning combat. Please like, and subscribe below. If you're new to this MK journey, it's the best damn combat sports show period. I'm one half of your hosting duo, Luke Thomas, the other half. You've been seeing him a lot lately when I've been off here for eight days, but we do this every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern on the YouTubes. This is the IA loose fun reaction special. Going to be recapping a trio of cards here the Showtime main event, a fantastic 122-pound unification instant classic between uh, cool boy Steph, Stephen Fulton Jr., and Brandon Figueroa. Also, DeZone giving us maybe the upset of the year as Teofimo Lopez Jr. yields his three lightweight titles along with that WBC franchise belt to unbeaten upstart George Cambosos Jr. in another absolute war that was thrilling content. And oh, by the way, Triller Fight Club had a big desperate, but maybe successful pivot into the world of uh, triad combat. So uh, that's what's going to happen right here. Brian Campbell, as I mentioned. So tip your waitresses, uh, like the video, subscribe to all that we do here and just get ready because this was uh, theater. And I know that, uh, look, I take pleasure in this, that, that a lot of people came to this MK journey morning combat and said, oh, well, I'm a Luke Thomas fan. I want my serious MMA. I don't want no, no dong jokes. And, and, you know, it took them a while. They went the full hamster wheel of hate to hopefully eventually love of your boy BC's unique abstract stylings. Well, some of those stylings are fueled by what my love for this damn sweet science, put lipstick on this pig of boxing and celebrating it to some of you morning combat. You just wish it was just Luke solo MMA takes, but are you not entertained? Okay. Uh, we force boxing at you because it's a combat sports show. And because boxing is a tremendous sport uh, when things are working, right? When the politics ain't getting in the way, when the best fight the best and when they deliver and I'm overjoyed to see how many of you this calendar year have been, you know, BC, I, I, I took the, the plunge, you know, uh, I took the taste test and uh, good luck. You know, I mean, I, I kind of like it and I don't want to, I don't want to bring any of you down uh, at the withdrawal that eventually comes from this sport, but enjoy the high right now. Okay. Live it up. Just, you know, dance like nobody's watching the box is back. It's kind of hot right now. This shit. Holy crap. What a night. What a, you know, there's a reason why if you can get them honest enough, 
that even the 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 great MMA gatekeeping overlords and, and genius and Hall of Fame experts in the sport, like my colleague Luke Thomas, like the great John Anik, the voice of the UFC, you can get them to admit something in their heart. Uh, when, you know, if you ask them point blank, when boxing is at its best, there ain't no other sport like it in the world. I'm sorry, there ain't. I love me some UFC. UFC delivers, and UFC's not all of MMA, but you get my point. The MMA at its you know, delivers way more consistently. We never have a weekend off in the UFC, let alone a weekend in which we're bored and not entertained with loaded deep cards. But there's something about this classic sport uh, that when it delivers like it did tonight, got that got that you know you got that that kick in your step you know you feel like you just caught digits out at the bar if you're still in the game you know i mean it just wow right wow all right let's start at the top here this showtime main event um it it, it was a hardcore fans dream and i know even a lot of you and shout out to luke thomas and he had some great guests on you know oscar willis from mac life and, and my old friend karen mulvaney of the showtime pod to kind of break this fights down and they did a great job. And, you know, maybe you loved it, maybe you didn't. But look, it's a hardcore fight, fans fight. It's unbeaten Stephen Fulton Jr. of Philadelphia bringing his 122-pound title against unbeaten Brandon Figueroa with the Mexican-American style and and just the, the you know, almost like a, a tall, long guy who fights in a style that's not really representative of his best traits but yet says – Go out there and stop my style. You know, I just beat uh, Lewis Nettie to the body and knocked him out. And there was a potential for what this fight could be. But it was a hardcore fight fans dream. And not only did it live up, it, it exceeded that potential. And I think it brought a lot of fans over. Maybe it was the timing of these fight cards on this night that this one went on last. I don't think it went underway until 1230 a.m. Eastern time uh, when that main event kicked off from Las Vegas, the Park Theater. But uh, Showtime's commitment to the 122-pound division over the past year plus just, I mean, it paid off on this night in ways that I don't even think any of us could have guessed. We loved the style contrast coming in. The fact that Figueroa is just going to give up his height and reach advantage and maul you. But do it in an educated way. Let's give him some respect. Got Joel Diaz, has his own father in the corner. Um, that mixed with the fact that Stephen Fulton Jr. can fight any style. But what happened on this night? I can't fully figure out if Stephen Fulton Jr. was completely willing over all 12 rounds to set up shop in that phone booth and say, you can bring that pressure, but I'm going to land the stiffer, cleaner shots that are going to get the judge's attention. Or if he just decided at some point that I've got to fight that style because this guy will not stop coming. Um, Harold, Harold Howard from the UFC back in the day, what did he say? If you're coming on, come on. Brandon Figueroa was coming on all night. And in the end, it goes down as an instant classic, probably your fight of the year again in the 2021 that has been amazing. Unification fight after unification fight, wars, upsets, just it's been great. This was an instant classic. This reminded people of the great Showtime trilogy at the same weight class with Rafael Marquez and Israel Vasquez, although that was a little bit more violent and brutal this had a little bit more skill because let's be fair vasquez and marquez both kind of yielded the idea of defense and they and they just they fit so perfectly with one another 
but it's 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 comparable this fight with that type of spirit and 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 i think it's also on par with those two great 126 pound wars that the pbc and and showtime was a big part of between leo santa cruz and carl frampton just a few years back i mean this felt special because it was in the end it's fulton coming away with a majority decision 114 114 and then 116 112 on the other two scorecards which is essentially eight rounds to four and i saw as you probably did brandon figueroa's reaction in the interview afterwards it was a little bit of sour grapes but but here's the deal he felt like he hurt fulton many times and that it was a no-brainer that he should have won and he might be right even though i didn't score it for him how did you score it bc i had it even entering the final uh entering the championship rounds I ended up 115-113 for Stephen Fulton, seven to five in rounds. But my point is, however you had it, you're, you're right. I mean, this was the Barry Tompkins, shout out to Barry Tompkins. Of, uh, he's still doing it in his 80s. Uh, he's the voice of Showbox on Showtime. But of course, you know, back in the 80s, he was the voice I grew up with on HBO. And after Marvin Hagler and Sugar Ray Leonard put on that incredible classic, he said, how do you like it? How do you like it? And so it's like, you know, it's one of the greatest calls in boxing history. And it's like, you know, how good was that fight? How do you like it? But it's also like, how, how did you like it? How'd you have it? However you had it, you had it. And it was right. These rounds were incredibly hard to decipher from one another. Most of the rounds followed the same script of Stephen Fulton entering into that phone booth, which is Brandon Figueroa's territory, right? That's the Brandon Figueroa wants you to get into that phone booth. He wants to back you up to the ropes. He wants, he knows his, he doesn't have 12 round stamina. He's got like 34 round stamina. He wants to out just wear you the hell down like he did Louis Snary. But Fulton set up shop in there and again said, I'm going to be the craftier guy. I might be landing the harder shots. I'm going to show the, I mean, landing the kind of efficient shots that the judges are going to be able to see was the clear craft. But every single round, Figueroa found a way to change that script and he came on. Sometimes it was only in the final 20 seconds. Sometimes it'd be the final minute, but he'd go to the body, he'd flurry, he'd back Fulton up to the ropes. And to his credit, there were a couple of times where it's like, oh crap, Fulton's hurt or Fulton's taking a, a back pedal. And you ended each round going, do I like cleaner shots or do I like overwhelming volume and body shots and switching stances? And for how much Figueroa gets crap for, for his style, he really employed it well in this fight. He really mixed up the stance switching, the lead right hands, the stiff jabs at times, which isn't his calling card. I mean, he's a mauler. I don't want to say he's a full-on brawler, though. And Is there a difference? I think it's calculated mauling. I mean, he has a really hard style at this weight class to be. I don't know how much longer he can make this weight, by the way. He's incredibly big for this weight class and long. And even though he gives away that height advantage, he uses that length almost Diego Corrales-like to get leverage on the inside. He's not the one-punch knockout guy like Corrales was, you know, at his peak in the, in the lower weight classes, but he just puts on the same level of relentless volume. Yet I thought on my card, and again, these rounds are, I mean, they're flip a coin because they're brilliant rounds in which you could make legitimate cases for either one. I just think there were key momentum turns i'd have to really go back in my notes and figure it out but there's a couple of times in the middle and then in the second half of this fight where it's like ooh, fulton's putting together two consecutive rounds here or fulton's changing the momentum because he's going into that phone booth and he's getting off first and he's making a point to show figueroa and the judges that he can land cleaner and harder even 
And I think that was enough over the totality of these three round mini classic rounds, which, you know, again, if you're a boxing judge, you're not judging the whole fight at the end, you're judging 12 individual fights or rounds. I thought he did more. He didn't end up attempting or landing more than Figueroa in the end. Figueroa had the edge on the CompuBox numbers, but I thought Fulton did the better stuff. But again, if you didn't end up scoring it that way, the fight was so great, so close, so brilliant that uh, I'm going to talk in a second how Teofimo Lopez kind of, you know, he should have just took that L and not doubled down. I didn't have as much of a problem with Figueroa doubling down. I did think it was good that they separated them, even though I'm the pro wrestling guy who usually wants them to go at it. I felt that could have gone down a wrong hill in the interview afterwards. Figueroa got to say his piece. Um, I don't think he's going to get an immediate rematch, although it's possible. I think he's more likely to move up and wait, as I mentioned. But these two will see each other again, and I hope it you know it becomes a trilogy. I hope this becomes a key rivalry in these weight classes. And in addition to the Vasquez-Marquez uh, great rivalry at 122, let's not forget that you know this was in and around the weight that gave us that great stretch in the in the 2000s when it was Pacquiao, Morales, Barrera. And Marquez, and it's Juan Manuel Marquez, of course, that just put on insanely great fights against each other, you know, almost like a four kings type scenario. And I know they eventually moved up in weight, but I don't I'm not here to say that Fulton and Figueroa are are, are already or even on pace to enter the sort of legendary status that those guys were and are. But I'm saying that this fight belongs in any kind of territory and it has the potential with how good this 122 pound weight division is in terms of the the depth and the names to to be a very fun era and i showtime's commitment to this division coincides nicely with the fact that we we found out like americans at the, you know in the unbeaten marketable well you know well-spoken exciting american fighters to sort of get behind and and Figueroa, okay, takes the first L of his career, but this ain't a loss. You know what I mean? This, this, this is a incredible performance. Whether he goes up and wait or not, they're going to see each other again. And if Fulton and Showtime can find a way to make a true unification fight in this division for undisputed status, uh, what I mean by that is the WBO and the WBC, I believe, titles are now under the that are on the belt of Stephen Fulton, but it's those other two belts that Murajan Akhmadaliyev has, MJ Akhmadaliyev, who had the long layoff during COVID, just came back on zone recently and scored a nice win. He, of course, beat Daniel Roman in, 20, in a fight of the year contender in early 2020 before the pandemic. Daniel Roman is also a key contender. So if Fulton could, could just as well be fighting Daniel Roman next, and that'd be a great fight, I'd love to see them find try to find a way to make uh, make it work with the politics, you know, allow MJ to Akhmadaliyev to cross the street and come over and fight Fulton because Akhmadaliyev can fight. He can box. He can, he can get in there and dig in. And uh, this division's hot, big win for Fulton. I don't necessarily know if he's the best 122 pound fighter in the world. I don't know if he can beat Akhmadaliyev, but Fulton can do it all though. And I think that the, the reason again, why, why he edged on my scorecard was not just the cleaner work at, for larger stretches than what Figueroa was doing was there were actual stretches in the second half of the fight where he established his jab and he created space and you have to create space or Figueroa is going to swallow you up and again. And uh, back to my original point, did Fulton dig in the trenches because he wanted to, or because he had to, I don't know against, against Angelo Leo when he won the title uh, in that, in that title defense, I think he did it more because he wanted to. He wanted to show people. Uh, this may have been because he had to. It's hard to keep Brandon Figueroa off of you at 122. But Fulton 
really had a fantastic performance and what a great fight. Shout out to Showtime. Shout out to the two fighters right there. If this was the only story of the night, I still would have been, you know, ready, willing and able to fire in a, an instant reaction here and in, in, in hit you up. But uh, it's just part of what was an incredible night. But uh, what a fight. And if you haven't watched this and you're, you know, should I should I take the leap? I'm an MMA guy. Should I take the leak BC? Go watch this fight. Seek it out. Find the replay of it. Uh, a 24 year old and 27 year old unbeaten American champion went in there in a unification fight and let it all hang out. I mean, this was, this was war. It was a beautiful war. It wasn't sloppy. It was beautiful. So shout out to those two Uh, just as well. I could have opened this instant reaction though, with, which was probably the bigger story overall and probably your upset of the year in boxing. So Teofimo Lopez jr. The takeover, uh, the brash, Uber talented, pound for pound ranked, coming in unbeaten, unified champion. We thought he was undisputed champion, but then WBC screwed up the belts and gave Devin Haney his old belt and made him franchise champion, which I would need about 20 minutes to explain to you what that actually means. Either way, he came in there with either four belts or three in a mandatory against George Cambosos Jr. that should have happened a long ass time ago, but you remember what happened. It went to purse bid. Teofimo found that clever way to basically say, okay, top rank, you don't want to raise my salary after I beat Vasily Lomachenko last year for these belts and that thriller. Then I'm going to find a way to get this to a purse bid, triller bid, a ridiculous amount of money. They ended up defaulting on it. This fight got rescheduled nine separate times with five different venues and cities and even countries discussed. The, the real downfall for Teofimo was that he lost this calendar year of momentum in his absolute early prime where he's this breakout stud after the fight against Lomachenko and he didn't get an immediate rematch, which he could have. And this delayed him where this was a 13-month layoff coming in. But yet, you know, I'll be honest, I, I didn't give George Cambosos Jr., the unbeaten Australian, a, a chance. A chance. I mean, the betting odds didn't give him a chance either. And I knew who he was. I, you know, I saw that he beat Mickey Bay and he beat Lee Selby, who used to be names in this division, but a little bit faded. But it, it like they said on the broadcast, it was true. It wasn't, you know, is Lopez going to win? It's it's how quickly, or can he knock him out quick enough that it won't co- you know, it won't bump up against the showtime main event? Instead, we have a monster upset in a thrilling 12-round war that really with the drama and the pace and the action would not be out of bounds to have this as an honorable mention for fight of the year, just the same uh, Triller defaults on it. The zone, which was the second biggest bid in that purse bid all the way a year ago, uh, ended up televising this in a main event and they did it. Uh, what the hell city did they do it in? Does it even matter at this point? I, I'm not sure it even matters. I, I can look that up for you. Um, this was Madison. Oh, the, the damn theater, the Hulu theater, Madison Square Garden in New York. Guys, this was wild. Teofimo Lopez comes out guns blazing, going for the knockout. He gets floored on a beautiful counter right hand from Cambosos that could have knocked out many a fighter. But Lopez got back up and got back in the fight. But what it proceeded to be in the end, a split decision win for George Cambosos, but a deserved one. And I think there's two things you want to talk about here. One, we did not give George Cambosos enough respect. I did not give him enough respect coming in. He fought the fight of his life. Now, I don't necessarily agree with Chris Mannix on the broadcast saying this is the biggest win in Australian boxing history, although I get 
his hipster angle. Guys, when Jeff Horn beat Manny Pacquiao in Australia in a war to win a welterweight title, even though Pacquiao was old, um, that's the biggest win in Australian boxing history, even though it was controversial. Uh, let's not forget Pacquiao rebounded from that to knock out Matisse, beat Broner on pay-per-view, and then edge Keith Thurman in a thriller. So it's not like Pacquiao was washed. He was just older. Um, either way, though, Cambosos fought the fight of his life. He was tough. He was he was versatile. Uh, his counterpunching was clean, but he also was, was smart in the way he fought and didn't give, you know, uh, too many easy openings. And what you had was a 12 round thriller in which both fighters hit the canvas. And although I, I wanted to say that out front and say, give Cambosos the respect he deserves. Teofimo Lopez lost this fight more than Cambosos won it. And I'm content in saying that because we all know the betting odds. We all know the talent of Lopez. He fought a horrifically bad game plan. And this was one of those where he almost salvaged it, right? He scored a 10th round knockdown of Cambosos. And he almost did one of those band-aid jobs where we'll say, oh boy, he came pretty close to losing it. Just like, by the way, remember he had that really bad night at the office against Nakatani before the knockout of Richard Comey, before the Lomachenko fight, in which we find out later, because he's had a lot of turmoil in this camp, that his mother and sister did not approve of the woman that he eventually married and they almost had a fish fight backstage and his mind wasn't where it needed to be and nakatani almost pulled the upset but teo rallied and he pulled off a close win and that was sort of the aberration on teofimo lopez's small but very impressive resume this though was was bigger than an aberration this was the type of thing that i don't want to say expose because he's 24 and i mean he came out there and you saw his talent in round one. I mean, he's crispy, sharp, he's dynamic, but he was tested mentally, physically in a lot of different ways. And he failed a lot of those tests across the board. And that's why he lost this fight. His game plan was horrific. He went for the knockout the entire fight and did not try to win rounds, did not try to establish his jab and really gave away so many key rounds through to inactivity. Now, look, uh, it's not like Cambosos doesn't have a role in that. He does. And he fought the fight of his life. But I, Lopez is the more skilled fighter. If he goes back and, and if he can humble himself. And by the way, I love that man. I've interviewed him since before anyone ever heard of him. And we get along great. But it doesn't mean I'm not going to sit here and tell you he blew this. He blew this fight. You're blowing it, son. As Angelo Dundee once told Ray Leonard against Thomas Hearns. No, you blew it. And you would have wished in hindsight he had an Angelo Dundee in his corner. Instead, he had the very controversial brass Teofimo Lopez Sr., who, by the way, is nicknamed Junior, which I don't ever understand that. Another topic, another day. Um, Teo did not have championship-level coaching on this night. You had his dad basically alternating between telling him he definitely won the round, even though he definitely didn't in a lot of these rounds because he didn't throw enough punches, or just telling him, what the fuck, why haven't you knocked this guy out already? Teofimo not only did not throw enough punches, seemed to, you know, fade at certain times in key moments, which again, 13 month layoff did not help him. The whole drama with Triller did not help him, but he did not help himself, particularly when the momentum clearly went back in his favor. He had a big round nine and then round 10, he drops Cambosos with a beautiful right hand, but does not put it on him. Comes out in round 11 and lays a fat egg, does not throw any punches gets beaten to the punch and just punts on a round basically. And then even in the 12th, 
he was aggressive. There wasn't a, holy shit, I'm going to lose this. There was no urgency. You had a horrible game plan, really just trying to land that one big punch the whole time, yet not putting enough pressure on to even justify the idea that screw the cards, I'm coming in there to knock you out. It was really like bizarre, did not get the proper coaching. And, and it does expose that, you know, this was the, the chips were down. This wasn't just, okay, you're underachieving against a more difficult Nakatani, but oh, you put it together when you had too late. This was an exposure that his camp's been turmoil for a long time. His family's wild. His dad tries to, you know, make a lot. I mean, his dad went up to Lomachenko and pushed him and accosted him. And that's, you know, and he got, remember, remember before he beat Lomachenko when this was first even being talked about, we're like, your son's 22, 23. Why are you throwing it, trying to throw him in there against the pound for pound King? Well, Teo Jr. You know, backed that up and he went in there and he won that fight, even though let's not forget he did fade down the stretch of that one before coming out in round 12 and, and sealing the deal in impressive fashion. But there's turmoil in his camp, and there's always been. You can really argue after this fight, is his dad the right guy to be his trainer? And I don't want to take away everything his dad has done to create this dynamic style. This Look, very few people can do a Roy Jones-like style. And if you used to listen to my old podcast in CBS Sports, The uh, State of Combat with Brian Campbell, you know, I had Roy Jones on here, and I said, Roy, is there any fighter who reminds yourself of you? And he's like, Teofimo Lopez. I mean, for Roy Jones to say that, Roy Jones doesn't do anything but talk about himself. He loves himself. I love Roy Jones. No one has that kind of fast twitch fibers, can throw leaping left hooks, can just do unorthodox stuff. I'll give his dad credit for harnessing that and for really building up this confidence. There is a maturity to Teofimo Lopez that is that belies his age. It always has. It's why he got married at a young age. It's why he's all these, you know, he can handle the 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 stardom and the and the the you know the the showcase and all that. And he can handle his dad's, you know, loud claims and the shit that his dad gets him into until now, until he couldn't. And this performance overall exposed that lack of real maturation. And, you know, I thought Teofimo has had always exceeded in terms of being more mature than his age, but I feel like this caught up with him. I don't know if his dad's the right guy anymore. I, I don't feel like he is. And uh, I, you know, there was also used to be other guys in his camp that I don't, you know, where's Joey Gamach? Was he in the corner? If he was, I didn't see him or hear from him at all. Joey Gamach is an experienced trainer. He was sort of a good second to have next to Teo Sr. I don't think Teo Sr. is that guy. Teo Sr., who they call Junior. Um, Teo almost pulled it off. And yes, this was a close fight. Now I had it wider than, than, than some. Let me, let, me, let me get to that for you. Um, I thought Cambosos deserved this. I got my notes here, but I just got to scroll through them. Uh, and again, I don't want to take away from what his performance was. So in the end, I score at 115-111 for Cambosos. The scorecards in the end are 114-113 for Lopez, and then 115-111 for Cambosos and 115-112. Now, with the two knockdowns, my score is essentially like saying eight rounds to four for Cambosos. And by the way, I'm okay with that. I'm content with that. I, I think there was a point at the three-quarter mark where – you really couldn't give more than two rounds to Lopez. He wasn't throwing enough punches. So the way it played out, Lopez kind of had it coming for the way that he acted. And I thought that he doubled down in the interview afterwards. And now look, there's high emotion. Lopez had a bloody nose, a badly cut left eye. He's got swelling under his right eye. I mean, look, his left eye is a swollen mess on top of the cut. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? 
That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. You know, could he been concussed? I, you try not to it, like the famous, the very famous Showtime fight in which Juan Manuel Lopez, Juan Ma, got knocked out by Orlando Salido in the first fight. And Felix De Jesus is doing the interpreting in the ring in Puerto Rico afterwards. And uh, this is why you don't interview guys who've just been knocked out, right? Uh, because Juan Ma famously said, uh, it's the referee. He has a gambling problem. And that's why he cost me this fight. And Felix De Jesus, who I talk to all the time, the translator for Showtime, he was like, it was like you could see the dread in him. Like, I have to really say this out loud. He's like, well, he has a gambling problem and so does his family. I mean, like, so, you know, in this case, Lopez wasn't knocked out. So I'm not saying don't interview him, but you want to almost not hold it against him what he did, but yet it was ridiculously arrogant. And, and again, for as loud, brash and arrogant as his father always is, not dissimilar to a Danny Garcia and his father, Angel Garcia, like Danny Garcia, Teo Jr. has always been able to sort of be that cool, even keel opposite that. This was Teo just kind of coming out of his shell and kind of taking on that villainous character and saying, I run, I won 10 rounds to two. Bro, you didn't win 10 rounds to two. So if he was, you know, concussed in saying that or embarrassed or whatever, that's fine. But the key thing is here, that's an embarrassing loss. It's not necessarily a career breaking loss, but it could be a career altering one. Now he's too talented for it to be a career breaking one. Although obviously it's possible. Uh, I feel like he's going to grow and learn from this and, and, and do what he has to do, maybe or hopefully. But I don't think he's getting an immediate rematch. It wasn't in the in the in the uh, contract. And on top of that, Teo really has trouble making this weight class 135. His body has outgrown it. And with the timetables, with a 13-month layoff, I think that that was a big part of it afterwards. I would have much rathered him to come out and say, look, um, I underestimated Cambosos. And even if even if Lopez wanted to be humble, but hedge that humility by saying, OK, I lost. He was the better fighter tonight. But guys, come on. I had the layoff. I had the tough weight cut. I had the trailer bullshit. I had all this stuff. He could have done that, too. But instead, he came down and just said, I won the fight. But no, no you didn't win the fight. Um, I think he's going to go more north to 140. And. I think he should go after Josh Taylor next. I don't know if he can win that fight, but he, he already won the four belts at 135, and he made a good point after. He said most guys, when they get the undisputed, they instantly move up afterwards because there's nothing else to prove. He didn't go after the Lomachenko rematch when he had the chance to do that on pay-per-view on ESPN. So him coming back to fulfill this mandatory, in hindsight, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, especially since his goal was to move up. Now, of course, I think he hung around with the hopes of making those big fights that we all want him to make. Jermonte Davis, Brian Garcia, Devin Haney, uh, you know, but in the end now, 
it's George Cambosos who is in the driver's seat to get those. So he's, he's promoted by Lou Devella. He's a TV free agent in the U S and, you know, Lou said afterwards, we're going to take the highest offer, whether that's Ryan Garcia, who Oscar De La Hoya, his promoter already tweeted about that. They want to do that fight. It could be Devin Haney who has that WBC belt and has a big fight coming up on the zone against uh, Jojo Diaz jr. Um, you know, you wonder if Lomachenko has a chance to slide in. Somebody's going to come to the table with a lot of money and Cambosos is going to cash in. Will he cash out, right? Will he sell his name and titles to that? I don't know. I don't know if he's truly at this level. This was the performance of a lifetime from Cambosos, but he's still going to have to prove that this was more a performance of the lifetime and less a horrific night at the office for Teofimo Lopez, which it was. If I'm Team Lopez, though, maybe not directly like next fight, but I go up to 140. Uh, I don't mess around with the, with the weight cut anymore. I go up there and I also go back to the drawing board and I go back to boxing. He's a dynamic counterpuncher. He can knock people out by accident. I mean, look at Lopez's rise of knockouts when he was sort of making that leap to title contention. They were ridiculously impressive. Look up the one against rock hard mighty. That's the real, that's the guy's real nickname, Mason Maynard. His nickname is rock hard mighty. God bless him. Uh, watch that knockout. This guy is ridiculous, but those knockouts come better when they're built off the foundation of boxing. He's got some work to do in there to humble himself and do that, but go up to 140. Um, that's a big fight. You know, ESPN and top rank wants to make it Josh Taylor versus Teofimo Lopez for all the belts at 140. If I'm Teo, I put this loss in the rear view. I don't talk about it anymore because there's nothing else to accomplish at 135. If he has trouble making the weight, which he says he does, what are you going to do? You already won all four belts. And I know the WBC kind of screwed him, but you already won all four belts. So now go up to another weight class and try to win all four belts. That's the best way you take this taste out of your mouth and you move forward. But shout out to Cambosos, who lost his grandfather to COVID recently, had the birth of his son, and it was really Cambosos who finally put his foot down and forced the the Triller um, withdrawal on it. Uh, you know, they, they defaulted on it by saying, no, I'm staying in Australia. I'm not coming to the U.S. for you just to change the date from one week to the next because you don't want to up, go up against the baseball playoffs or Monday Night Football. He was the one who stood firm and said no. And that, you know, so shout out to him in that regard. Shout out to the performance he had winning the fight. Now he's going to get a monster payday and fight a big young gun. <clears throat> when you're the opponent and Cambosis was it's best case scenario. So that's well done there. The fight was a joy to watch. It was theater. It was great. Uh, we're going to have a lot more on these topics. Of course, on Monday's morning combat, you'll get Luke's take. You'll get my nuanced advanced take. So I don't want to beat this horse too dead because I know a lot of you here are just like, all right, BC, all that traditional boxing stuff is fun, but we want Triller triad combat talk. Okay. All right, I'll give it to you. They went to uh, the home of the Texas Rangers, and they filled that stadium up pretty well. They're claiming on the broadcast they had 30,000 in Metallica concert, which also featured fights. So here's the deal. This idea, this is, this is a desperate pivot from Triller, who was originally the Jake Paul home, the old guy fight home with Tyson and Roy Jones, and we know what happened next. It got grosser. It got weirder. Are they a concert promoter? Are they a fight promoter? What are they? Uh, we've had a Vander Holyfield fight when he's 86 years old and they defaulted on the tail. So like they didn't have an identity. What are they doing? Can they keep pissing away millions? Well, they try this desperate turn to an MMA boxing hybrid, which is really boxing, but it's got some MMA rules. And oh, by the way, we're going to do it in a triangle sized ring. And I know what you're saying. 
doesn't BYB extreme the bare knuckle league run by Dada 5000? Don't they do the trigon, the triangular octagon? Yes, they do. They also sued Triller and Ryan Kavanaugh, uh, but yet the fight card still went on as planned. And you know what? Good Lord, these cockroaches. Uh, it was pretty damn good. It was entertaining. It was the best Triller card yet. And I think it's a pivot that has some legs, folks, uh, at the end of the day. So the main event had Kubrat Pulev sending Frank Mir to hell and Dan Mergriada trying to bury him in hell. But it had a mixture of boxing versus MMA across the board from Albert Tumanov was on there. Mike Perry, my platinum friend, was on there. Um, and you had that added part of Rampage Jackson coaching the MMA fighters against uh, Shannon Briggs, let's go champ coaching the boxing fighters and this running scoreboard, which is so gimmicky as shit. Yet probably because of the personalities of both again, it kind of worked and it was all about teasing the potential of a fight between rampage and Shannon Briggs. And they've done a, you can argue either a great job in the build of this fight and on Saturday's fight card to promote that or a cringe job, probably both, but that's kind of what, this should be. And what I mean by this is Triller's trying to serve, you know, what I used to want from hashtag old guy fights, this sort of carnival gas station, hot dog side of combat sports where you take people who are washed, but not dangerously washed and you just throw them together. And it's fun. They've created now, again, it's not an original idea, but here's what they did. They put eight ounce gloves. They put it in a triangle boxing ring. They allow you to do the MMA stuff like holding and clinching and dirty boxing. But the whole idea is MMA versus boxer. And that's the theme. And it maybe it was the personalities involved or whatever, or the fact that the fights in this setup actually delivered. I mean, there were absolute wars. Mike Perry and Michael Seals, the former light heavyweight boxing contender who was a big slugger, but doesn't have good technique. That was a war. Matt Mitrione went in there against uh, Alexander Flores had an absolute war. These were fun ass fights in the end. And it's kind of interesting because what Triller was trying to do of late sucked. It's like, now look, was Metallica awesome? Not really, but if that's your cup of tea, then it could have been awesome. And was all these other hip hop acts awesome? To me, no, but if that's your cup of tea, it could have been. That stuff either means nothing or it helps a little bit, but your fights have to deliver. And recently they tried to do this old guy shit, but if you're going to do fighters like a Vitor Belfort, like even a fat rampage who have a little bit left to offer you put them in there for two minute rounds in this triangle thing where you can't run. And yet you're going to, you're going to get action. And there was really no snoozers. The fights delivered. And this is interesting now because did the, did the, did the goal actually work to level the playing field between MMA and boxing? It kind of did, but I think that that's, obscured by the fact that the majority except for Kulat Kubrat Pulev in the main event and by the way Pulev is not at all far removed from fighting Anthony Joshua for for you know three heavyweight world titles besides him look they picked washed up boxers journeyman boxers and washed up journeyman boxers you know god love them Brian Vera uh Scott Sigmund I mean these are you know so when you put him in there against younger MMA guys who are decent as boxers within their MMA fighting style, 
and they have the potential to use the rules to their advantage. And I thought Matt Mitrione was really the only MMA guy who really used the holding and dirty boxing and spinning back fist to his advantage, you know, although uh, the one fellow from Bellator had the, had the Superman punch in, and had some good moments, you know, the guy, you know, who I'm talking about, he was in there against uh, the other guy. Yeah, there you go. It's great analysis, BC. Um, I, I think that the fact that it was kind of well-matched in the end, you know, kind of washed up boxers who don't have a chin or much of a hope against guys like Mike Perry, who can push a pay. And Mike Perry, I thought he was going to get sent to hell because Michael Seals can really punch. But the way the rules were set up and Perry came in in great shape and he was aggressive, man, those fights were fun. And, and th those guys had to walk through hell. They got up. They, they delivered beatings. You kind of have to in this triangular phone booth. And you know what? Triller still kind of sucks in key regards. The, the broadcast is cringe. And this isn't a shot at Ray Flores, who I love and have worked with and friends with and all that, but just the combination of all of the, all the factors, Nick Cannon as the host dressed like a vampire. We got a round table of rappers. We got like, I'm like, okay, why is Peter guns and, Eric B there. I love Eric B and Rockham, but why is Eric B dressed in a tux giving me boxing analysis? And why is Fat Joe drinking and yelling Gigliotti 1,500 times and making fun of Ray? It was a train wreck, okay? Uh, Cynthia Conti, who normally does good boxing work, had a train wreck interview with Ryan Kavanaugh. They 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 knobbed on Ryan Kavanaugh the whole time, the CEO. And, that, okay, that's fine. They do that on broadcast. But if I had to hear another time that Ryan Kavanaugh was changing the world of combat, stop. Stop with that shit. And Kavanaugh's extended five-minute rant challenging Dana White and sending him an invitation to come see how a real, but like, just stop with that shit, okay? That's not the angle you should go. The angle you should go is to try to basically stick it to BKFC, who has developed something decent, to BYB, who you're going to have to meet in court someday. But basically, these are the promotions that are going after, again, the gas station hot dog, bottom of the food chain of combat sports. I think this trailer fight, triad combat is actually the best representation of what i've seen and they are developing an okay stable where you know what i kind of want to see shannon briggs and, and fat rampage in this weird boxing hybrid yeah kind of like okay i'll see it i kind of want to see vitor belfort against one of these guys yeah it kind of worked at the end of the day so shout out to triller in that regard but the rest of your broadcast is crazy. Uh, Sean Wheelock probably should have been, Charlie uh, should have had a bigger role in there. He actually was doing great. Boss Rutan, God love him. He's, he's, you know, he's on the second half of his broadcasting career. He's still very likable though, but um, it's cringe. The, the whole thing's cringe, but the fight's delivered. And um, that's at the end of the day, what's going to keep people coming back. Not Metallica, not any of this other bullshit. The fight's delivered. And, they have enough interesting wash names. I mean, Albert Tumanov can box, man, where if you want to continue this team thing and you can get coaches that can actually, I mean, I'll give Shannon Briggs credit. He's like getting in the corner at final round telling Scott Sigmund, you can do anything for two minutes, go in there and guns blazing. You got to win this fight. I mean, that was kind of compelling. It, it was kind of compelling. Um, it was interesting. So what a wild night of boxing at the end of the day. What a wild night of theater. And I know I've rambled for a while, but uh, I'm back. And I'm back with a bang, BC. Uh, thanks to Luke Thomas for holding it down on Morning Combat without me. Luke's great, right? It's probably great solo to a lot of you. And some people think BC solo is just a train wreck. I think BC solo is a fantastic operation that's really improving and really has a bright future. But the point of this self-serving rant is that there ain't nothing like MK when BC and LT are together. As good as we are separate, there ain't 
nothing like MK together. So hopefully you all had a fantastic Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, shout out to everybody who doesn't celebrate. I know because I was in Jamaica on Thanksgiving and they don't celebrate. Uh, so I didn't get my my fill, so to speak. Uh, but I'm back. I'm fired up. I'm refreshed. And in this great year of combat sports, this great year of boxing and a loaded December to come, which has a, uh, what do we got going on here? Javante Davis in a pay-per-view one weekend. Dustin Poirier way back in a loaded UFC pay-per-view the following weekend. Jake Paul in an interesting fight the following weekend. MK's going to bring it. Your boy BC's going to bring it. LT's got his, his, his number two back, right? Well, who does number two work for? He work, He's right here. He's the co-host. He works for MK. And the, the boys are back in town. So thanks for holding it together um, through the... Uh, look, we have vacation time, okay? Family first, folks, all right? I used to hate it, too. I was the biggest Mike and the Mad Dog fan like anybody else with an earshot of 660 WFAN. And I hated them both separate so badly. You know, and I feel like Francis is always going on vacation. And it's like, as much as I like when Mad Dog would stick it to Francesa, I freaking hated when it was Mad Dog alone or when it was Francesa alone. You know, you need the other one to call the other one out on his bullshit and offset him. So uh, boys are back in town Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern on the YouTubes. Check us out. Um, Jamaica was fantastic. This actually was the best vacation of my life. So um, I always, you know, you always say, you probably do this with your own kids or whatever. Be like, you know, this is the vacation that we're going to actually relax. I'm going to actually read a book. I'm going to, I'm going to do nothing. And then what do you end up doing? You end up, you know, spending five days at Disney walking around for 12 hours a day. Nobody actually ever does that. I did that this time. I did nothing. All right. I read a whole book. Where is it? Jack McCallum's uh, Unfinished Business, the story of the 1991 Boston Celtics. I read the whole book cover to cover glorious um i had many a pina colada okay what a week a lot of jerk pork shit spicy as hell but it's great um and uh you know canelo's gonna fight a cruiserweight what don king's trying to get in the way of this what a lot, a lot of stuff going on in boxing and mma so uh we're gonna bring it in december it's a long rant ended by a long rant by me just to say uh thank you mk fans for making this family this weird family you probably went back at thanksgiving and visited your actual weird family we got a weird family okay we got a we got a rapey french uh teacher who's trying to sleep with his students we got uh the great web scream uh we got we got a weird a antoine in alaska i see you okay enoch who, with the great record store in, in uh rally durham area we got a great weird family of people i love you all even the snarky uh ginger redhead who hates me um, this is me, though, signing off after a fantastic night in the box. Um, I'm glad you guys are getting a little taste of this. It's, it's, a, it's a special, amazing sport. But it is that drunk uncle who may clean up every, every other year, but uh, he'll embarrass you in the end, and this sport will too. But for now, we riding high, baby. Woo! Uh, I'm an old dad with an old dad hat, but signing off, it's BC. And I'm um, feeling really good right now. My sport, my sport delivered. Thank you. I'm out. We out.